And I want to get a feel for um, the ratios in the room of like freshmen, seniors, juniors, sophomores, and so on. And also give my leaders a chance if they're at the back to um, find out where their students are at. So if you're a freshman, stand up where you're at. Just stand up where you're at. Freshmen, stand up. That's right. We like to clap for freshmen. We like to do that. All right. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right. If you're a sophomore, stand up. Sophomores. All right. All right, if you're a junior, stand up. Juniors. All right, grab a seat. If you're a senior, stand up. Man, I like that senior spirit. Okay, you guys can grab a seat. So I just want to get a, get a feel for where people are at. And, uh, and also just I'll do that occasionally, give my leaders a chance to know where their students are sitting. Uh, if you guys recall, last week I told you that we were going to be hosting the football lunch for UMHB today, but that got canceled because they, um, they just couldn't do it this week, so uh, we actually get the whole time in here today together. So last week I said to you I was going to preach for 20 minutes, and uh, so that turned out to be a lie. So um, now I'm going to go like probably an hour, so aren't you glad it's time for us to dig back into the scriptures again? So turn your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12. That's where we'll be today. This is kind of a standalone message. Um, we're going to start a new series next week, and uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, those that went to New York City on the mission trip, raise your hands if you're in the room. Okay, a few of you are here today. So we were uh, doing an ESL course, English as a Second Language, for, um, somewhat, for uh, some students on our mission trip. And we met a guy named Kitch, who was from Thailand. And it was a really nice guy. Um, works at a Thai restaurant, and he's a really good cook, because I went to have dinner at his restaurant, and it was amazing. And, uh, and Kitch, we were talking to Kitch, and my students, um, it was Kenneth, it was Christian Reagan, um, I'm forgetting who else is in that room with us, and it was Kenneth and Christian, who else was in that room, do you guys remember? One of the, maybe Tanner, not Tanner, Daniel, Daniel Espaugh. And, uh, and we started asking lots of questions, a really thoughtful guy, this man was, um, and he, he claims he's Buddhist, but he's also studying the Bible at the same time. And he, he sort of has this real vague view of spirituality where he just, he's like, yeah, you're a Christian. I study the Bible as a Buddhist. That's okay. I like to learn anything and everything. And he, he kind of has this very nebulous, abstract, vague look at religion and beliefs, right? And it's almost like he just has this mindset that, um, you know, you can believe whatever you want to believe. I believe what I believe. It's kind of like what you believe, but not really. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but not in the way that you do. And it's like this very vague thing this guy believes. And so this morning, I want to focus our attention on just one major question. What does it really mean to be a Christian? Because I think so many people have this mindset that, yes, I can believe some things about Jesus or believe some things about the Bible and in the end, God's just going to give me a pass because I believed in something, or I believed in something good, right? And so um, this morning, I want to be real clear about what a Christian is, and I want to speak to, I'm always speaking to unbelievers and believers when I teach here, but I, I want to talk to the unbelievers for a minute. If you're someone who would not consider yourself a Christian this morning, my hope would be that you would see what a clear picture of a Christian is, and you would say, I want to become a Christian. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. 
I want to give my life over to him. And, and not continue where you are in some kind of vague limbo or in some in-between world. I, I, my hope is that you'd, you'd want to cross over into surrender your life to Jesus Christ today. If you are a believer, my hope is that you would come to see the Christian faith as something that's very rich and meaningful and powerful and not just something you kind of do on the side. Is that you would see it as it is everything. This life with Christ is everything. And so my hope is that you would, you would see that today as we talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So um, we have three, we talk about these core values at our church. And I don't want to just call them values because they're more than that. They're actually what, they, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we talk about these things, and they are on the screen here, the next slide. Uh, surrender, community, and mission. And these are the three things at our church that we want to beat into your heads continuously. And that's why you hear it a lot around here, because we want to talk about what these things are. Because my fear is that so many Christians um, just think that being a Christian is just one of these things. Or so many unbelievers think that being a Christian is just, you know, just one of those things. So I want to make sure you know these are, these are three things kind of working together here. And so we're going to look at um, surrender, community, and mission this morning. And look with me in Romans chapter 12, uh, first off in verses 1 and 2. And in this passage, we see these three themes playing out throughout Romans 12. In verses 1 and 2, here's what Paul writes. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there are two big challenges in this first, these first couple of verses. The first is do not conform. The second is be transformed. Do not conform and be transformed. Now, when it says do not conform, he's referring to do not conform to the patterns of evil that we see throughout the world that we live in. Jesus says in John chapter 17, he says that Christians should be in the world but not of the world. And so the world's patterns should never become the patterns of a believer. We shouldn't copy their patterns. We shouldn't become conformed to the world. You know, um, as a pastor at the church here, I get the awesome privilege occasionally to, um, to do weddings uh, every so often. And it's oftentimes people that... Um, that have really asked for Gary to do the wedding. Like everyone wants Gary to do it because he's the big man, right? He's the guy that everyone wants to have to do the wedding. There's 3,000 people in this church, so Gary can't do everyone's weddings. So um, if he's out of town, he'll often say, hey, Dave, can you do one? Or Shannon, can you do one? And so I got to meet with this couple last week uh, to talk about their wedding. And at our church, we have some pretty stringent standards. We actually say, look, you've got to go to a class for eight weeks on, on like a premarital counseling class. You've got to meet with a pastor. The pastor's going to ask you some really hard questions. And um, we're going to do this the right way. And so um, I met with this couple last week. They'd gone through the class already. And, uh, and so we get past all of the, the niceties and all the things that you normally talk about when you're discussing a wedding. And then I have to ask two awkward questions, two really awkward questions. These are total strangers, right? And so two really awkward questions are, are you living together and are you having sex together? And, yes, we ask these questions, all right? Because if we're going to be God-honoring as a church, 
we have to ask those kinds of questions of someone asking us to do part do the wedding, right? And so um, the couple just kind of looks at me and they're like, yes and yes. And so now it's really awkward, right? And and so I'm like, well, um, you know, you've been coming here for two years. You've gone through the class. Let's talk about this. And so then it becomes my attempt to just shepherd them and walk with them through, okay, let's talk about if you both claim to be Christians, let's talk about why this is walking and living in sin. I'm being very delicate in how I say these things, very careful in how I word things with this couple. And um, they walk out of my office. It actually took it, they took it really well. Um, but one of the things that the man said in my office that really surprised me, he said, you know, he goes, I guess, I guess we just got caught up and like this is just what everybody does, right? And so even if you're a professing Christian in our culture, it's very common to say, you know what? Like, forget what the Bible says. Forget what God says. Everyone else is doing this. And so we, we conform to the world around us. We become just like what everyone else does in our world. I'll come back to that story in just a minute. But there's two problems that I see, two reactions that Christians can have to this idea of do not conform. And one of the hardest challenges, I think, especially here in the Bible Belt, is that many people say, Yes, I'm a Christian, but they conform to the world around them. That's one issue we have with this command, do not conform. The other issue we have with that command, do not conform, is that many Christians take this this command, do not conform, in the wrong direction. And they'll just make up a bunch of lists of legalistic things that really aren't sinful. They're just man-made rules to go by. And they think about themselves, well, you know what, I'm a good Christian because I don't do these things that the world does. Even though those things may not even be sin, they're just saying, like, well, I don't conform to these things. It could be anything like, you know, I don't go to, um, you know, movies over a PG rating. Okay, congratulations, good for you. Let's talk about the complexities there with that, right? Um, Or I don't listen to any, quote, unquote, secular music, right? may not be necessarily a black and white sin issue, but they're just deciding to draw the line somewhere, and they say, I don't want to conform to the world. And some of those things can be good and wise for us to do, but very often some Christians will make lists of rules like that they're not going to conform to, and then when they don't conform to those things, they become self-righteous about not doing those things. And so there's two extremes they can fall into, I think, when it comes to Paul's command here, do not conform. Now, um, here's my fear, though. My fear is that many of you in the room think a disciple is someone who just doesn't do a bunch of bad stuff, right? My fear is that you think that being a Christian means, okay, I just don't do a list of things that are bad. That's what it means to be a Christian. And for some of you in the room, this might be why you're not a Christian yet, right? Because you think that's all a Christian is. It's just a, a person doesn't do a bunch of stuff that's bad. That's all a Christian is. They just don't conform to the world. But we miss the other half of this verse when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because to be a Christian does not mean that you just don't conform to the world. But it means that you are inwardly transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a whole other side to this equation that Paul wants us to get. It's not just don't do these bad things. It is be transformed, become a new creature, become a new kind of person. This is the kind of person that Jesus Christ wants to make you into. When we think of the word transform, 
I know our minds go to modern day. We think of, right, the movie, right, Transformers. That's where your mind might go, I'm guessing. Now, let's think about this for a second. What do those robots really do? They just rearrange stuff, right? You know, a, a, a head becomes a missile, right? Um, they just rearrange things. Nothing about their essence is truly becoming transformed. It's just they just rearrange stuff, right? And this is what I think Christians can do is we just kind of rearrange the external. You become a Christian and you just start copying other Christians and what they do. And you rearrange the external aspects of your lives. You begin doing some things you never did before. Go to church, read your Bible, pray, these kinds of things. But ultimately, we're just rearranging some stuff. That's all we're doing. And the kind of thing Jesus offers you is true, internal, real, life change, transformation. This is what Jesus offers us when you become a Christian. The word in the Greek and Romans is metamorphosis. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. So you think about the plant world, the animal world, the insect world. When something changes like that, it is unrecognizable compared to what it used to look like. It is true, real, internal, and external change. And this is the kind of change that Jesus Christ offers us when you surrender your life to him. When you and I surrender to him, when you truly surrender to him, you you don't just rearrange things. You actually become different. You transform. He transforms you when you surrender your life to him. This means that you have new hopes, new desires. You have new life as a Christian. And so the couple that came to my office this past week, um, they walked out and I said, you know, I've got to, you guys need to think about this and pray about this, what we've talked to you about. And um, the, the woman came back in the next week and she said, um, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. And so we met in my office and she said, I want, you to let, want to let you know that we left your office, went out in the parking lot and just broke down and started crying. And we just realized like, yeah, of course, like we've been walking in sin. We've been living in sin. Of course, why did we not see this before? We know Gary talks about that from the pulpit. We know we, we hear about it in class. We discuss it in class. Why did it? But it took someone like looking him in the eye and saying, hey, I have some hard questions for you. And here's the questions. For someone to ask them those questions in that setting is what it took for them to realize, yes, like we're, we're conforming to the world around us. We're not being transformed by the gospel. And I was just so, she said, that day after your office, I moved out because we're going to do this the right way. And so from now until our wedding, we're going to stay pure. We're going to live separate until we get married. We're going we're to honor God in this commitment in our relationship. This is what repentance looks like. This is what it means to be transformed rather than to conform to the world that you and I live in. And so if we're people that have been have been truly surrendered to Christ, we're going to be transformed. It's going to affect our decisions, how we live, our character. It's going to affect every moment and every decision that you and I make. I would tell you this, that if you're truly a believer, you're going to have moments like that in your life where someone reads a passage, someone asks you a hard question, and you're going to say, it's going to hit you. And you're going to realize, 
I've got to turn and repent and turn away from this sin and turn towards Jesus Christ. This is what it means to live a surrendered life to him. Because at some point, the Bible is going to rub you the wrong way. Right? At some point, you're going to be walking this direction in life and realize that God is asking me to walk a different direction. And I'm going to turn towards that direction instead of my current one because I want to surrender my life to him. This is what it means to surrender to him. Look in verse 1 where it says, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Becoming a disciple involves surrender. It involves sacrifice. And I want you to get this. The word is living sacrifice. So most of us think sacrifice and we think bad, something I don't really want to do, right? But you have living sacrifice because at first it's going to be painful. At first it's going to hurt. This couple said, you know what? We walked out. We started crying like babies in the parking lot. It was painful. It was hard. It was a hard decision. It was inconvenient. But you know what she said? She said, but now I've moved out. We're trying to honor God in our relationship. She said, now it feels so free. Like we feel so good about this decision we've made. That's the living part of living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that brings life. Many of you in the room, if you're not a believer, you see Christianity as just something that takes life from you. It's a sacrifice. It involves surrender. It's difficult. It's hard to lay your agenda aside and follow Jesus Christ. It's very difficult to think about. But it's a sacrifice that involves life. It's life-giving, not life-taking. And there is true joy in obe- obeying him. There's true joy in obedience. I want to look next at um, Romans chapter 12, verses 3. We're going to talk about community now because I really want you to understand the, how these three things work together. Look, at, look down at verse uh, 3 of chapter 12. He says, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So God did not intend for the Christian life to be lived in isolation. There is no Christian that should say, you know, yeah, I got Jesus. I'm good. I don't need the church. I don't need relationships. Relationships are messy. I don't like mess. I'm going to stay home and watch a preacher on TV and get fed that way. There is no Christian that should ever say those kinds of things. To be a Christian means that you're involved in community with other Christians, as messy as it may be. But look in verse 3. He says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And so um, I'm going to challenge you that this, this next year, some of you guys are going to want to bail on this thing called church because of conflict. Because of relationships, you're going to want to bail on what we're doing here uh, tonight and, or this morning and also uh, Wednesday evenings. It's going to be hard for you. You're going to encounter conflict. You're going to encounter relationship mess. But he's, what he's saying here is don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. I will tell you this, that I think if there's one thing that will kill community, it's a lack of humility. It's thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That will always kill community. You know, um, a couple years ago, I went to a conference up in Dallas 
with my wife, and a uh, really good conference. And we're having lunch. You guys know Matt Smith, our Impact Camp speaker this past year. We're having lunch with Matt because he works at the church that it was being hosted by. And so Matt said, let's go have lunch one day. So we went out, went out and had lunch with him. He brought this friend along who was a fairly well-dressed guy, a fairly North Dallas, you know, put together like a nice blazer, uh, you know, for a jacket. And I'm feeling kind of, I'm a youth pastor. I never dress up for anything, right? So, um, so I'm kind of a little intimidated by this guy, but I start talking to him. He's a kind of a standoff kind of guy, a real nice guy, though. And uh, we're having lunch. And I just ask him, hey, so what do you do for a living? And he says, well, I'm a photographer. I'm like, okay, so, like, do you do families? Or, like, what do you mean photographer? He's like, he kind of looked at Matt and kind of looked at me. And, um, like, he didn't want to say. And I was thinking to myself, like, oh, maybe it's some shady job I shouldn't ask questions about. And uh, and so um, so then he says, he goes, well, I, I photograph, um, you know, George W. Bush. And I'm going, wait, what? Like, the, like the former president, like you photograph, like that's your job is to photograph the president. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, okay. So we just kind of turned to him like now the conversation is going to get really interesting, right? And so we turned towards this guy and we just started asking lots and lots and lots of questions. Now Matt's feeling like just he should just go away because Matt's not part of the conversation anymore at all, right? We're asking this guy has got tons of questions. And um, if someone tells you that they photograph the president, like that's their job, you're like, like you know, everyone says that if I could be a fly on the wall to hear like the president talking to his cabinet members, like this guy is that fly, okay? So I want to interview the fly and be like, tell me everything you know, right? And so, um, so he's telling us about this job. We go on for like an hour talking to this guy and just a really, really friendly, nice guy. And, and so this guy was talking about, like, you know, when, whenever you watched the news and stuff, like when something big has happened, like whenever um, bin Laden was killed, um, they call it the Situation Room, where, like, the president, vice president, secretary of state, they're all kind of in there hanging out, waiting for the news to get back to them that bin Laden is, in fact, dead. That's called the Situation Room. So this guy has been in the Situation Room, like, during situations, Okay. And so, so he's been there in those really intense moments during presidents, like during Bush's term. And so he, he, he comes back to Texas after Bush is out of office and then gets rehired by the Bush family to be his continued photographer. That's his job is to walk around and just photograph the former president after he served his term in office. That's a pretty cool job, right? And here's the funny thing about this guy. He did not want to tell me what he did for a living. Right? I mean, if I had this job, if I had his job, I'd have a T-shirt that says, like, ask me what I do for a living. Right? That's what I would do. But he was actually, like, humble and said, you could tell he didn't really want to say because he knew he'd probably get bombarded with questions. Right? He had humility about him. He's someone that knew, I can't think too highly about myself. I'm just a guy with a camera. That's all I am. That happens to photograph the president. And, you know, in ministry sometimes we can often get um, inflated egos or think that, you know, it's because of me or it's because of, you know, Gary. Gary could easily get a big ego thinking this this church of 3,000 people in a fairly small town. But at the end of the day, we have to say, you know what, I'm just a dude with a Bible. Gary's just a dude with a Bible. We preach God's word, see what God does. And we cannot let ourselves get too full 
of ourselves. And the same is true here. If there's anything that will kill community, that there's nothing that will kill it more quickly than a lack of humility. And so Paul says here, he says, think with sober judgment. So what's the opposite of sober? Drunk. So do you get what he's saying here? He's saying some people are a little drunk on themselves. Like they, when you're drunk, you you see things distorted. I'm not sure how I know this. I've just heard. But when, when you're drunk, you see things with a distorted reality, right? The floor looks a little bit lower or higher. Things look kind of blurry, right? And so Paul is essentially saying, look, don't live in a distorted reality about who you really are. Don't see yourself with, with greatness. See yourself with humility. And so many think too highly of themselves, and it very often kills community. Look down at verse 4, where Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You know, one of the ways in which people get too drunk on themselves is in the area of gifting. Spiritual gifts can very often lead to someone thinking that they're way up here and someone else is way down here. So Paul is saying that you are one body, but you have many members. And we don't all have the same function. I think one of the biggest lies of our culture is that you can do anything you put your mind to. That's not really true when you think about it. Can, can I be LeBron James? No. Never could, never will. I can't just think myself into becoming a great basketball player, right? I can't put my mind to that and, and actually become that. And so there are some of you guys, and me included, that we're just not good at certain things. This is why God gave us the body of Christ to work in and to be in. And so as a pastor, we often say things like, you know, come on, guys, let's, let's be unified. Let's try to gather up all the loose ends and unify you guys as a group and get you to be as one. But I want you to see this. In this passage, Paul just declares, he says, look, look at the screen. He says, individually, you are members of one another. Paul just declares it. He says, you are members of each other. So when you're disunified, it's, it's that you're living in an unhealthy way. It's not that you're no longer members of each other. You're living unhealthy, right? And so he's asking us to live healthy, to see ourselves as members of each other. So whether you like it or not, we are members of each other. The question is, how do you want to go about doing that? In an unhealthy way or a healthy way in which he's calling us to live? And so if we're members of each other, does the human body ever hurt itself intentionally? Now, we know there's things like, you know, suicide, people cut on themselves, those kinds of things. But we would look at that and say, that's not healthy. When the human body hurts itself, that's an unhealthy way to live. And so when people in the body of Christ, when they hurt others in the body of Christ, they're hurting the very body that they're a part of. It's like hurting your own body. That's what it would be like. Look down at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith 
if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I want to define for you just what these gifts are, because when you think prophecy, you think of you know, someone who like can tell the future, almost like a palm reader. That's not the kind of prophecy that's always being discussed in um, the scriptures. Another way to see prophecy is someone who just tells the truth. Someone who just can look at their friend and say, hey, man, cut it out. You're being an idiot, right? You're living in sin. You're walking in sin. And so that's another way of being a prophet is to tell someone the truth. Uh, someone who exhorts, or someone who encourages, someone who contributes, someone who has the gift of giving. They're just a really great giver of resources and money and so on. And then um, mercy is someone who can, um, you can go to when you're having a very difficult time in life. Gift of mercy. This is what these gifts are. What I love about these, um, these gifts that Paul lists here is that he says that God has spread out all these gifts in the body of Christ so that no one gets the glory except for him. No one gets the glory except for God. And so each person has a gift. Each person has an ability that, that maybe no one else has. And so because of that, God gets glory as opposed to individuals getting glory. You know, last week we, um, we talked about, we asked you guys a question at your table. We said, do you think that we do a good job here at the church of helping you identify and utilize your gifts here in the body of Christ? And I got some responses back from our leaders, and some of them said, yeah. Some, some said that, yeah, we kind of do that with impact and mission trips. But throughout the year, it's not really like an ongoing thing of, of us really utilizing you guys in your gifts. And I'll tell you, that's a really good challenge for us as leaders to kind of put you guys in position for that. But I also want to remind you, that um, some things that you're going to be asked to do in the body of Christ are things that are, going to, that, that, are, that are going to happen like organically in your everyday relationships, not so much at an event like just impact or a mission trip. I'll give you an example. So um, I know Doug Ganey's not here because he's at college now. So, um, so Doug Ganey, about a few months ago, I had a dad call me, and he said, hey, I'm going to bring my son to the Outback. He's brand new to the church. He's really, really brand new to the youth group. And I want to have him get plugged in. So, um, so I linked him up with Doug Ganey that morning. And uh, Doug kind of showed him around that morning and, and took him under his wing. And then um, later on in the week, I said, hey, Doug, maybe you guys should, should, should call him and, and, and see if he can join your small group. And Doug's like, we've already done that. And he came last Sunday. And I'm like, awesome. And so, um, but you see here how, like, Doug took it upon himself to reach out to this guy did I even ask him to go beyond what he did on Sunday morning? No, he did it on his own. And so what we're talking about here is some things we're going to give you guys to do, like impact mission trips, are things that we're going to give you a platform to use your gifts in. Other things, though, are going to be things that you've got to take it upon yourself and do them yourself on Wednesdays and Sundays in the midst of those G groups, those small groups. And so you've got to understand that, like, when you really get this, our hope is that you would be unleashed to utilize your gifts in some formal settings, but also some informal settings as well here at Overflow. <clears throat> I've got to run because we are already so late. Look at, um, look at verse 9. I'll go this very quickly. You guys have discussion at your tables here in a minute. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 9. I want to talk about mission this morning because um, we see how these, th- these three things work together. Look at verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo each other in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, and serve the Lord. These are the things, this last section, are the things that I want to be shaping us as a group this coming year. It's going to be a long list of things he's going to list, so just follow along here. But he's really talking about let love be genuine, meaning like really love and really like each other. Like you should have a, a genuine affection for each other. So often Christians say things like, you know, we're supposed to love everyone, but we don't have to like everyone. Well, it sounds here like he's saying, have a genuine affection for each other. And if you don't, maybe something's wrong in here, right? Like you really should have a general, a genuine affection for each other, not just, yeah, I love them, but like only in a, you know, Christ on the cross kind of way, right? And so um, we want you to see this, to have a genuine affection for each other. Look at verse 12. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do not be haughty, meaning do not be stuck up, but associate with the lowly. Let me say this to you this morning. I so would love to see this play out in our youth group where some of us actually talk to someone else who's not in the same income bracket as our parents. Just think about that. How many of your friends are a lot like you? And so when someone walks in here that you see everyone with the eyes of Christ, you see everyone the way that he sees them, you associate with anybody and everybody. There's no boundaries. There's no borders. These are the things I want to see in us this coming year. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live, peaceable, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We'll cover that in a minute. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Reading this passage, you're going to think, okay, I understand what it says. It seems like the Bible would say, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Then you get to the, the second part of the passage, and it says, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. It's like, well, how is that a Christian thing to do, right? What he's talking about is there are several disagreeing uh, commentators on this passage, but the general idea is this. When, um, when some, how does someone react if you were to throw burning coals on their head, right? They would just picture that reaction. Um, that's kind of how someone would react if you do something loving for your enemy, right? Initially, like, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing, right? That's how they'd probably react. But if they have the greatest chance of repentance, it's going to be because you did something kind towards them, even though they're an enemy, rather than returning evil for evil. 
So the three things that I want you to know that means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is surrender to Jesus Christ, living in community, and living on mission. Go ahead and discuss the questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss.